0: What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. This week is the final chapter in my interview with Steven Rosenblum, and we'll be talking about cutting The Last Samurai, as well as the effects of certain cultures on your edits. And now for the interview. Just to jump to The Last Samurai, the relationship between Taka, Nathan Algreen, and Taka's son, because Taka's husband was killed by Nathan. Right. Um, How did you go about building this tense? Like, she never says to Nathan that she's upset, but we get it from her delivery as an actress, but also through some of the cutting and the juxtaposing of the images. How did you approach this relationship with these three?
1: in that film? Um, It's funny because I approached it from the from the point of view of this could never happen. How can this happen? How could a woman fall in love with the man who's basically killed her husband? The truth is, you know, the director envisioned that drew performances from all three that Mm -hmm. are really superb but most importantly the boy. Uh, The boy became the fulcrum and the mother seeing the boy respond to this rough, tough, yet gentle man enabled that sequence to, I think, work. Uh, I don't think many people had a problem with that, or or do you? No, I didn't have a problem. um,
0: That's why I wanted to know how you went about
1: it. I was worried about it until the sequence out on the porch, you know. Mm -hmm. And when we shot that sequence, which we shot over a period of either two or three days, only at magic hour... Which made it really difficult. It was two days, but it might have been three. And when I saw the performance from the boy, I knew that I don't want to be crass here, but I knew we could sell it (laughs) because the kid was really, really emotional Mm -hmm. and good. And Tom, you know, Tom Cruise is a very underrated actor. He's quite capable of giving you emotional resonance. Mm -hmm. He has weaknesses, as all actors do, and he has strengths. And but one of his strengths is the ability to um, empathize. He's he's really, really good. And when you put Tom Tom loves uh children. There's just no doubt about it. And mm-hmm. you put Tom with this little boy and you know, it, it just basically melts your heart. You know, it's an interesting thing. I'm gonna sidestep a little here. But Edzwick often makes movies that are um you know, he's criticized for making movies mm-hmm. that are a little sentimental uh, or maybe a little bit too um they're you know, they're constantly overstating their theme or their purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, but he really uh, has a, a tremendous ability to attain what I believe are incredible performances. Mm-hmm. And from this little boy, I, I mean, I, there I was saying, oh, my God, this is, this is, this is to- so believable. Uh, and in the realm of a child, even more so, I suspect, yeah. um, where an adult, you know, that I might have my difficulty with, but from a child, even more so, and and you know, in the realities of the day, I see the woman being able to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I try to I try to incorporate all this into. And the only way I can cut is from from my instincts. I don't really. Uh, it sounds like I do is some sort of you know intellectualization of the whole thing, but I really don't. Mm-hmm. I actually just cut. When you say, well, how do you know when to when to cut to the other story in in Journey to the Center of the Earth? I can feel it. Uh, it, it's I wish I could teach it I don't know how but I can feel it I know it's time to go there and and very often those structures even when we change the way in which certain things happen the structures of those intercuts remain because um, as soon as you, one thing is as soon as they're working when you start to take it apart and say let's see what happens if you do this it's you know it's like a house of uh, it's called a house of cards yeah you know everything just goes <laughs> wow yep. it's always
0: nerve-wracking when someone's like can you change a few little things and you're like so nervous about the pacing and the rhythm and everything. Switch well, although most things,
1: you know, it's funny because my, my first reaction is, no, that's never going to work. But that's everyone's first reaction. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and you don't verbalize it because then you say, OK, let's see what it does. <clears throat> and very often an idea is the uh, impetus for really, really good change. What isn't the impetus for really, really good change is, you know, take two frames off that cut, take a frame off that cut, take two. That's like, you know, OK, I, you don't want me, you, you want someone else to just yeah. do this. Stuff. Or you want to do it yourself? Yeah, yeah. or, uh, and, and, and none of the good directors uh, that I've worked with do that. None, save one, do that. Good directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and then there's just good directors who need to have all the control. That's just who they are. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean their work couldn't be better by um, collaborating more, but they, they're incapable of it. And mm-hmm. so, <laughs> and then there are the directors who don't want to do anything.
0: It, now, did the Japanese culture uh, influence you when you were cutting... The
1: last it 's funny because both uh, uh, Hiro and uh, Ken Watanabe were around all the time, you know just all the time in fact we couldn 't get rid of them These guys were like we were dubbing and they were still there uh, <laughs> you know we're back here already in l a on the dubbing stage and Ken and, and Hiro hero uh, played uh Samurai yeah, the other samurai uh, they were just the best, uh, so you know the japanese culture it 's funny that, again the film took a certain amount of of um, in this country it's like you know well the american goes to japan and saves the culture but the japanese view of the film was entirely different it's like oh an american throws off his americanisms and becomes a japanese you know Mm -hmm. and 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 that's how we saw the picture you know he becomes essentially japanese and it was very interesting as to how that happened i mean there were problems with that movie too like all movies but japanese culture is you know astonishing we spent two weeks in japan the rest Mm -hmm. of it was shot in new zealand and you know i remember saying to ed well you have to take me to japan because otherwise i'll never get there and also it would be good for me to know the culture yeah. which wasn't really the case the truth is it was just otherwise i'll never get there <laughs> and he was perfectly happy to be able to do it but it is an amazing place you ever been no no I'd oh my go. god it's just a, it's a, it's an incredible place and and just the way in which japanese people are you, you if you're sitting at a sushi bar and I mean, literally, I was sitting in a bar and I, I looked over. The guy next to me was eating a Japanese businessman of some sort or another. The next thing I know, he's he's ordered me the same thing. Uh, you know, it's like it's, it's like oh my god. You know, it's just it's there's it's so it's such a, a level of respect and and it's just an incredible place. And we tried to bring that out in the in, also in the pace of the film. The film is is a very leisurely paced. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and John Toll who shot the film sort of really thought that the best way to shoot it would be in a very almost static way, especially the, the real Japanese sequences as opposed to the battle sequences. Mm-hmm. And and it, and it was, it was shot very, not a lot of moving camera, it was done on purpose, you know?
0: Well, thing, I think the, the line that Tom Cruise says when he's writing in his journal, he writes, they take, they do everything as if they have to perfect it, I think it is, or mm-hmm. something like that. and. I was wondering about that with the pacing because it reflected the culture that he was in in that moment.
1: Patient, you know, uh, yeah. and, and there are scenes in there that I, you know, I had a miserable time with, as all movies. I say this with, with affection, uh, you know, but I mean, you know, I had a hard time with the chair blossom scene uh, where, where Tom and, and Ken Watanabe have a discussion. It's just a hard scene. And when you're not moving camera at all, uh, literally, uh, it requires that the cutting give you everything. And that's, you know, I I like when, I love when, when a director moves the camera in a way that tells me, aha, I don't have to cut through this whole section. It's, it's a pathway that I can take, should I choose to, and, and, and I'll be okay. And now, now do I want to? Does taking this pathway obviate certain advantages by cutting so I can then be privileged to seeing both sides of Mm -hmm. the equation? Or even though it does that, do I gain something from the organic strength of a shot that enables me to never cut? Mm-hmm. Um, these are the issues that you face time and time again, day in and day out, and you have to make your determinations. Mm-hmm. You know, um, uh, on some level, when you're shooting s- with such a static camera, the Japanese sections of, of that movie, I mean, and by Japanese I mean the, not the, the battle sections, mm-hmm. it requires that you cut. You know,
0: yeah.
1: uh, Otherwise you're not going to get it all.
0: So it's almost like going back to the the older forties films and stuff without the movement where they would have a scene that was fully built and static.
1: But but in the forties though, you know, they, they didn't they didn't cut that much either. Yeah. They they played it in, in in profiles and twos and and, and you know, and sometimes I look at, you know, the way they shot comedy, it's like they had to be so dead on sure that their rhythms were gonna be accurate that they they continued the entire scene at a pace that is just flabbergasting and mm-hmm. it works like a top you know if you look at i just look at philadelphia story the other day again um and you know some sections of that are just amazing or if you look at any howard Hawks from the, mm-hmm. from the 40s you, nobody will do that these days nobody yeah. will stay in one shot that long especially in a comedy yeah um, it's a best
0: now i have one question i like to ask everyone and that's uh, what's your favorite guilty pleasure film
1: oh man you know, this has come up before, too, because there are certain films that I call my favorite films that are not the best films ever made, mm-hmm. but they're my favorite films. Spartacus is one. But that's not a guilty pleasure. I like, you know, I strangely like romantic comedies mm-hmm. <laughs> as guilty pleasures. Uh, but I'm trying to think of, of what one would be that whenever, you know, if, if uh, again, it's not a guilty pleasure because it's such high quality. But if high fidelity is on the tube, mm-hmm. I watch it and I can't restrain myself. If Wonder Boys is on the tube, I watch it, and I can't restrain myself. And I again, I, I watched Wonder Boys a week ago yeah. for like the 30th time, and I just, but guilty pleasure, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, you know what, you know what it is? I'll tell you my, my guilty pleasure, and I realize it's not a film, but, uh, and I don't watch any television series-wise, except
0: for True Blood. Okay, that's a good one. That's my guilty pleasure. Well, thank you very much for- My pleasure. Well, that was my interview with Stephen Rosenblum. I hope you enjoyed it. I'd like to thank Stephen personally for allowing me to interview him. I'd also like to thank the American Cinema editors, Jenny McCormick and Lauren Woodcock. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.